0: Let's open God's Word this morning to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, we'll read the first 15 verses, and the text for this morning's sermon will be verse 14. John chapter 16, this is the inspired and infallible Word of our God. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor Me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go My way to Him that sent Me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness. And of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness, because I go to My Father, and ye see Me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Thus far we read God's Word. The text for this morning's sermon is verse 14. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Congregation, if someone were to ask you, what are the primary works of the Holy Spirit? How would you respond? What would you include in a list of the works of the third person of the Trinity? Perhaps, drawing from the Heidelberg Catechism, especially Lord's Day 8, you would think to say, well, the Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. Or maybe drawing from Lord's Day 25 that we considered recently, you would respond and say, well, the Holy Spirit is the one who works faith in our hearts. Perhaps others would draw from Scripture, from John Chapter 3, and say, well, the Spirit is the one who regenerates us, who gives us new life. Or you would think to draw from this passage that we read and say, well, the Spirit is the one who comforts us. All of those would be legitimate answers. And there are many, many others that we could include in a long list of the primary works of the Spirit. The Spirit seals us under the day of redemption. The Spirit plays an important role in our adoption, bringing us into the family of our triune God. The Spirit is given to us as an earnest, A guarantee of the fullness of our salvation. But now if you were the one compiling this list of the primary works of the Holy Spirit, would you have thought to include on that list the Spirit glorifies the Son? Because that is indeed one of the primary works of the Spirit. This work deserves to be high up on that list. The work of the Spirit to shine the spotlight upon our Savior and all of His glory and all of His majesty. Perhaps this is a work of the Spirit that we forget about. And if that's the case, then it's good for us to consider this work on this occasion of Pentecost. For today, the church celebrates Pentecost. That is, we remember the work of Jesus Christ to pour out His Spirit upon the church so that the Spirit has been sent to live and to dwell within our hearts. And on this Sunday, it's our custom to focus on the work of the Spirit. And this morning, we will focus on this specific work of the Spirit that's highlighted in this passage. His work to glorify the Son. So the theme for this morning's sermon is the Spirit's work to glorify the Son. First, we'll look at the blessed work. Second, the resulting comfort. And third, the thankful response. The Spirit's work to glorify the Son. The blessed work, the resulting comfort, and the thankful response. The Spirit glorifies the Son. That's the clear teaching of the text when Jesus says in verse 14, referring to the Spirit, He shall glorify Me. But now in seeking to understand this work of the Spirit, we must recognize this is distinct from the Father's work to glorify the Son. For the Father does indeed glorify the Son. That's clear from the following chapter in which Jesus makes that very petition. For example, in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says in the second half, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And then again in verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And for Jesus to make that request was not some wishful desire on his part, but that was a prayer in harmony with God's will. And this was a prayer that the father would indeed answer. And he did so especially he did so, especially, through the exaltation of his Son. For the Father raised the son from the dead. The father then bid the son to come and to sit down at His right hand on the throne in heaven. And this is the due reward for the obedience of the Son to the will of the Father. The obedience of the Son even unto death. The fact that the Son did all that was required of Him as our mediator. Having first humbled Himself, having taken upon Himself the form of a servant, the Son was then exalted. He was lifted up on high, and it's the Father who stands on the foreground in that. Now that does not exclude the Spirit, for in all the works of our God, all three persons of the Trinity are participating, but yet at the same time, within each work of God, each person within the Trinity is assuming a different role, as it were. They each have their own primary functions. And when it comes to the exaltation of the Son, it's the Father who stands on the foreground in that. And so when this passage speaks of the Spirit glorifying the Son, we have to recognize this is something distinct from the work of the Father. So how does the Spirit do this? What does this entail? Well, for the Spirit to glorify the Son refers to the Spirit's work To glorify the Son in and through and by us, His people. For the Son is indeed glorified by His people. That's clear from what the Son says in John 17, verse 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. He's saying that my name is glorified in and through and by my people when they give me conscious praise for what I've done for them. but Now the key is to see that this praise that we give to our Savior is a praise that's worked in us by the Spirit. That comes out in a passage like 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, where we are taught no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And what that passage is teaching is that no one can confess from the heart with a desire to glorify God that Jesus is Lord apart from the work of the Spirit. And that points us more broadly to the truth that whatever praise we give to our God is really the, the fruit of the work of the Spirit in our hearts and upon our lives. It's a Spirit who works in us the gift of faith. It's a Spirit who energizes us in a life of praise. And it's that work That is in view here when Jesus says, of the Spirit, the Spirit, He shall glorify Me. The glory that's given to the Son in, through, and by His people. But now how does the Spirit accomplish this? We've made a contrast between the the Father's work to glorify the Son and the Spirit's work to glorify the Son. But now we need to ask the next question of What does this entail? And it's the rest of the verse that tells us how the Spirit goes about doing this. For Jesus says in verse 14, He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. That's how the Spirit does this work. He receives of Mine, says Christ, and shows it unto you. But now when we come to this second half of the verse, we're immediately faced with the question, What are these things that are in view here when Jesus says, He shall receive of Mine, that is, the things of Me, and show them unto you. What are the things of Christ that are in view here? We're given guidance in the next verse when verse 15 tells us, All things that the Father hath are Mine. Therefore said I that He shall take of Mine and shall show it unto you. So that the things of Christ that are in view here are the things of the Father, given to the Son, who in turn gives them to the Spirit, who shows them unto us so that we have embedded into these verses important Trinitarian theology, that the Father is the the source, the origin of all things, who gives all things to the Son, who then gives those things to His people by the agency and operation of the Holy Spirit. And when we have that sequence in mind, we can come to understand what are these things of Christ that are in view here. And we can put them under two broad heads, two categories of the things of Christ that eventually become ours. The heads are grace and truth. And I use those two words deliberately drawing from John chapter 1, verse 14. What are the things of Christ? Well, John tells us in John 1, verse 14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ is full of grace and truth. And these are the things of Him that He gives to the Spirit who in turn bestows them upon us grace first of all and by grace we're talking about purchased grace the grace of salvation all of the benefits all the the blessings of salvation those are things that have their source their origin in the father he's the one who determined in his love in all of eternity to provide these things for the church but he does not give them directly to us But instead, they come to us from the nail-pierced hands of our Savior. The Father gives them to the Son, who then bestows them upon the church. But even there, it's not directly because the Son relies upon the agency, the operation of the Spirit to take those blessings of salvation that He has earned and apply them to us. So that grace, purchased grace, the blessings of salvation are something that come to us from the Father through the Son by the Spirit. And the same thing applies to truth. And there's good reason for bringing that in as a part of these things of Christ that eventually come to us. Because in the context, that our Savior kept referring to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. The Spirit who reveals truth. And what is more, there's a specific wording of verse 14 when he says, For he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. It's literally saying he's going to carry back a message. He's going to announce. He's going to proclaim something to you. And what he proclaims is truth. And again, that has its source, its origin in the Father. He's the source of all things, including truth, because truth belongs to his very being. Yet we can never know that truth concerning God unless it's revealed to us, unless he, he makes Himself known to us, and it was the work of the Son to do just that, to reveal the Father. So Jesus said in John chapter one, verse eighteen. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten of us the, the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. That is the Son has showed to us the Father. But He does this by His Spirit. For the Spirit is the one who testifies of Christ. That's a point that Christ makes throughout these three chapters. Chapters 14-16. through For example, in chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He's going to speak the things that the Son spoke unto them. Same truth is taught in chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of Me. So again, we can take truth as a category and see this is something that has its source, its origin in the Father, but is ultimately given to us through the Son by the work of the Spirit. And here in this verse, Jesus is emphasizing that role of the Spirit in this. How grace and truth are communicated from the Son to the Spirit who then bestows them directly upon us. So that He takes grace, the purchase grace, the blessings of salvation, and powerfully confers them, bestows them upon us. And with regard to truth, he, he takes that and He he teaches us that truth. He illuminates our hearts and minds. And He illuminates the Word, causing us to understand it. And He does all this to glorify the Son. Remember, that's our broad heading here. That's the theme of the sermon. That's Jesus' opening statement in This verse, He shall glorify me. That's the main truth. And the rest of the verse is telling us how He goes about doing that. By receiving the things of Christ and showing them unto us. Thereby giving us both the reason and the strength to glorify Christ. By showing us. These things of Christ, He's giving us reason to glorify Him. Thankfulness for all that Christ has done on our behalf. But He also gives us the strength to do this. He works in us powerfully and irresistibly the willing and the doing of a life of praise so that Christ the Son is glorified in, through, and by us as we live a life of conscious praise to our God. So to put it in summary form, the Spirit glorifies Christ to us so that Christ might be glorified in us. He shows us the glory of Christ. He he puts it on display so that we in turn praise Him by the power of the Spirit at work in us. That's the work that's in view here. now if we're going to step back for a moment, we can learn about the work of the Spirit. The character of our Spirit in light of what we're taught here in this particular passage. Specifically, implied in this passage is what has been called the self-effacing character of the Spirit. The self effacing character of the Spirit. And to understand what we mean by that, it's perhaps best and easiest to use an illustration the illustration of a spotlight. A spotlight is not designed to call attention to itself. If somebody sets up a spotlight, it's not for other people to go and to look directly into the light of that spotlight. But instead, the purpose of a spotlight is always to cast light on some other object so that when a spotlight's set up, it's so that we can see something that we otherwise would not see or see it with greater clarity than we would otherwise be able to see it. Well, so the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ does not call attention to Himself. The Spirit did not come to replace Christ. He does not say to the church, now that I've come, you can forget about that one who was crucified outside of Jerusalem and just focus your attention on me. But the Spirit is like that spotlight in that He his work is to direct us to Christ. He shines the light on, on Christ, causing us to see Christ and to see him with a greater clarity than we could ever could apart from His work. The Spirit magnifies Christ. His work is the advancement and glory of Christ, the One who sent Him. And all that is what is meant when theologians refer to the self-effacing character of the Spirit. But now because that is His character... That then gives us a tool to identify false spirits. That is, false notions, false beliefs about the Holy Spirit. For in the broader church world, there are many such false notions, especially in the the whole branch of Christianity that we would call Pentecostalism, which places all the emphasis, the focus, upon the work of the Spirit. So that the emphasis is on being able to speak in tongues or having these ecstatic experiences. But what's implied in that is that the Spirit would have us focus on Him and and these unique experiences that he, He gives to the church and these special gifts that He gives to the church. But that's not the work of the Spirit. The Spirit did not come to call attention to Himself instead, the Spirit shines the spotlight upon our Jesus Christ. He shall glorify Me. Said our Savior Jesus Christ. He directs our attention to our Savior. And He does so because that's where our comfort lies, congregation. And that is indeed the result of this work of the Spirit that we are thereby comforted. And the Spirit does this exactly by showing us the things of Christ and receiving the things of Christ and showing them unto us. That the Spirit is our comforter is indeed, or is clear from the context. It's a point of emphasis. Jesus had been telling his disciples he was leaving them, departing from them, and on account of that, they were. Afraid, they were full of sorrow. That's verse 6. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. But he encourages them with the truth that he's going to send the Spirit whom he refers to in verse 7 as our Comforter. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. The Spirit is our comforter. That is, to use the original, He's our paraclete. One who is called to the side of another in order to help that person. Indicating that the Spirit is the one who draws near to us in order to strengthen us, uphold us, and encourage us. And in light of that, it's for good reasons that, good reason that the King James translates this term paraclete as comforter because an important part of the help that the Spirit gives to us is that He brings that, that rest, that calm, that quiet to our hearts and souls by reminding us that we have a good that far outweighs All the evils that we encounter otherwise. That's the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit does this by receiving the things of Christ and showing them unto us. Because our comfort is found in Christ. That's question and answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is thy only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Our comfort is found in Christ, and therefore, the Spirit takes Christ, the things of Christ, and shows them to us. He, He announces them to us. He proclaims them to us. He reminds us that we, because we have Christ and salvation in Jesus Christ, we have the greatest possible good that outweighs all the evils that we otherwise experience. And because that work of Christ is so rich and full, there is indeed comfort for us as a congregation. Child of God, what is the reason your heart is troubled this morning? What is the cause for it to be filled with sorrow? Perhaps it's because you are burdened with the guilt of sin. If so, the Spirit shall comfort you because He will receive the things of Christ. His death at Calvary. It's sacrificial worth. It's substitutionary and atoning character and He will show it unto us. He causes us to see that that death is an inexhaustible fountain of forgiving grace that comes to us freely without money without price, to thereby comfort us with the knowledge that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That the debt has been paid. He brings that to the broken and the contrite heart to grant us assurance of the forgiveness of sins so that whereas before there was sorrow, that sorrow is changed to joy. Whereas there was turmoil in our hearts, there's now peace. But perhaps you came to church this morning with a different burden. Maybe that sense of, I'm a failure on account of all my shortcomings. Well, the Spirit comforts us because He receives the things of Christ. His perfect righteousness. His meritorious obedience. And He shows them unto us. And He leads us to see that because of this aspect of our Savior's work, we have been clothed with a spotless righteousness Our filthy rags have been put off and we've been clothed with white robes. And He thereby comforts us with the knowledge that my standing before God does not depend upon me or upon anything that I have done, am doing, or will do. But it's based upon the work of Christ so that my hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. I have the certainty of eternal life with my God because it's based on the work of Christ. Now you're, perhaps your burden is something different. Perhaps you came to church this morning weak, weary, Worn out and wavering on account of that long struggle against sin, temptation, and the devil. The Spirit will comfort you because He receives the things of Christ, His power, His strength. His triumph, His victory, and He shows them unto us. He shows to us that the Prince of this world is judged. He shows to us that Jesus Christ has spoiled principalities and powers that He made an open show of them. He triumphed over them. And He thereby comforts us with the assurance of final victory. A final victory that does not depend upon my strength to persevere to the end. But a final victory that rests in Emmanuel's endless and perfect strength that he gives to the weakest and most weary soldiers in his army. Maybe your sorrow is on account of some trial, some affliction, some difficulty. The circumstances of your life. The Spirit shall comfort you because He receives the things of Christ. His compassionate heart for sinners and sufferers. His tenderness for the brokenhearted and He shows them unto us. He reminds us that this Savior is our good shepherd who lives in and with the sheep. He's the one who gently leads those who are with young. He binds up the wounds of those who are injured. He heals the brokenhearted. And the Spirit thereby comforts us with the truth that the Savior will not break the bruised reed. He will not quench the smoking flax. For He will either sovereignly control the circumstances so that there is reprieve, or He will give His all-sufficient grace to bear up under those circumstances. The Spirit comforts by receiving the things of Christ and showing them to us. And he does this because, again, our comfort is found in Jesus Christ. And it's so foolish for us to look elsewhere. It's so foolish for us to turn to the entertainment of the world or to the bottle. There's no genuine comfort found there. It's found only in Christ in His person and His work, in His character, His life, His death. And therefore, the Spirit takes those things, the grace of Christ, the truth of Christ, and He shows them to us. It's the Spirit's work to reach down, as it were, and pick up the chin of the downcast child of God. It's the Spirit's work to take the grace and the truth of Christ and powerfully, efficaciously apply them to our hearts. So the child of God, any time that Gospel clarity all of a sudden breaks through into your heart and life like the sun piercing through the clouds. It's because of the work of the Spirit. Anytime comfort comes flooding into your heart, driving away the sorrow and the fear that was there before, it's the work of the Spirit. So that when we have this comfort, when we have that gospel saneness for a moment, it's not because, well, I finally got my act together. It's not because, well, I picked myself up by my bootstraps. But it's because of the Spirit of truth. The comforter sent by the Son. Receiving the things of the Son. And showing them to us for the comfort of our souls. Shall we not give Him thanks for that? That ought to be our response. A response of gratitude. Instead of the ingratitude that so often fills our heart specifically regarding the work of the Spirit. How readily we forget about Him. And now to be sure, if I may speak as a man for a moment, the very nature and character of the Spirit's work lays him open to being ungratefully dealt with. Because he did not come to call attention to himself. He did not come to set before us the glory of His divinity or the glory of His personality. For what did Christ teach us? He shall not speak of Himself. He shall not testify of Himself. He shall not glorify Himself. But instead, He shall glorify me. He shall testify of Christ. He speaks the things of Christ, the things that the Father speaks to the Son and the Son speaks back to the Father. He did not come to assert Himself. But instead, He's perfectly content to stand in the background all the while faithfully going about His work. His work being to glorify the Son. But alas, because of the very character and nature of His work, we are so often unthankful for it. That as the character of His work becomes the occasion for our ingratitude. Because really, this is reason to praise Him all the more. This is what makes his work so beautiful. That he's willing to just shine the light on Christ. He just continues to magnify the Son. Look at him. For the Spirit, one who is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son to make it as his primary work to glorify the Son. That's astounding. That's beautiful. Beautiful. But yet the very thing that makes it so beautiful, the thing that makes this work so praiseworthy, alas, becomes the very reason we fail to give Him thanks. We are so indebted to the work of the Spirit. For without this work, we would never see Christ. Without this work, we would never hear Christ. It's only by the power of the Spirit that we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. That we believe in Him. And thus, rather than having hearts full of ingratitude, I hope and pray that God uses this sermon to fill our hearts with thankful praise. To our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, thankful praise to the Spirit for receiving the things of Christ and showing them to us to thereby comfort. Our hearts and souls. Thankful praise to the Son for the gift of the Spirit because remember, this is Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate the Savior's work to pour out the Spirit upon the church. But we don't stop at the Son. We also give thankful praise to the Father. The source of all of it the One who so loved us that He was willing to send His Son into this world to die for sinners such as you and me. Beloved congregation, we serve a truly glorious God. Let us praise Him accordingly. Amen. Our Father in Heaven, we give Thee thankful praise for Thy work as the Triune God. Help us to know Thee more fully and comfort our souls with the knowledge of what our Savior Jesus Christ has done for us. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.